If you are new, we, uh, we are a church plant. We've been meeting here on Sunday mornings for just over a year. And since we started, we have been going through the Gospel of John. And uh, if, if you've been with us, you'll notice that sometimes we'll take like kind of strategic breaks from the Gospel of John to like touch on a topic, uh, on a topic that we really feel like Jesus is putting on our hearts as pastors for our church. And so last week, uh, I kind of paused the Gospel of John to, to spend some time looking at anxiety from out of Philippians 4 and then kind of talking through how do we actually move through anxiety into God's peaceful presence. And uh, I thought like the reaction and the response was really strong. So this morning, I, I just kind of felt, as I prayed about it, I just kind of felt like we should keep going through Philippians 4. Uh, so we'll be there this morning. Uh, before we start, would you pray uh, with me and for me? Really would love for God's help to preach his word this morning. It was a long week this past week. I'm a little, a little bit exhausted, um, and I really do want him to empower me and to help me preach his word, and then also that he prepare kind of our hearts to receive what he has to say. So I'm going to pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning and for this chance to preach your word. Um, God, I thank you that um, I just want to like repent in advance of seeking praise through this message. And I really do want to embrace the gospel, which says that I'm loved before I do a thing because Jesus died and was raised for me while I was still your enemy. And so now that I'm your son, I have nothing left to prove, and I thank you for that. Pray that you'd help me teach your word effectively and help me to really benefit from this message alongside with the rest of us. God, I love you. I thank you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I was thinking about this message, uh, I spent a lot of time chewing on social media. And... uh, I keep a fairly low profile on social media. I'm on there, but I don't really post uh, a whole lot. I mostly use it just to keep track of what's happening with my family. It's my family, most of them, are in Puerto Rico. Uh, so social media is very helpful for that. Also, uh, we, my wife, Heather, and I and our family, we were sent here from Restored Uptown. So I keep kind of like follow what's going on with the life of our church family in San Diego and then obviously with you guys here, some of my college friends. That's more or less what I've done with social media uh, until recently. Uh, recently, I started following athletes and celebrities. This is a thing that I didn't really know about. Now I know it's a thing. You can follow uh, famous people. So I started following famous people. And then an interesting thing happened. I started actually paying attention to what famous people were posting about. And some of the stuff is like totally normal. I saw one yesterday, um, Sergio Ramos, who plays for Real Madrid. He's like their center back. He's known all around the world. Like he's at a water park, like going on a water slide with his kids, just having a blast. Just like normal stuff like that. Uh, guys like working out. Here I am working out. Here I am working out again. Just like totally normal stuff that, that people post. And that's typically what I found for the most part. But then there are these times when the athletes that I follow and celebrities just post the most incredible things. Uh, there was one athlete, one soccer player, who posted pictures of his uh, exotic vacation in the Mediterranean. And he just showed, he had, there was a picture of him in like this warm, like the most beautiful water you could ever imagine. Blue and greenish, clear. He's on a yacht. He's tanned. He's got a six-pack. There's people in his boat, people swimming in the Mediterranean with Mediterranean fish. Just like this incredible, and of course I'm reading this as I'm changing diapers, and I'm like on my phone trying to figure out what to do with my 11,000 Southwest points uh, to go on vacation, which, hint, they'll get one of us to Boise. One of us. So like they post about stuff like that. Another one will post like, went shopping today, and it's, it's not, you know, bananas and oranges, it's a new car! It's a, is it a Ferrari? Is it a Porsche? I don't know. It's fast. You want to hear it? 
You know, like, it's that, like those kind of posts I just get all the time. I also follow baseball players, so I get a lot of baseball players talking about, like, here's my latest three-homer game. Here's my latest three-homer game in slow-mo. America. Land of the free, home of the yoked. So, yeah, it's like stuff like that that I'm constantly thinking about now. And then like my kind of favorite is like the social media post. It's like kind of thanks to my anonymous $8 million donation to the World Wildlife Fund. Today, we finally rescued the chimps from extinction. Hashtag grateful. Hashtag no filter. Hashtag oops, that was supposed to be anonymous. Hashtag don't care. So it's like, this is the kind of thing that I'm like inundated with. And sometimes it's just not hard to see that this is sort of like selfless, shameless self-promotion and not take it too seriously. But at the same time, I, what I was seeing and hearing and listening to and thinking about did start to affect me a little bit. In the midst of thinking about like private jets and accolades, sports stars accumulating accolades and these exotic destinations and people rubbing elbows with influential people, it's like, wait a minute, I'm, all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm like, I'm losing sight of Jesus. I'm not grateful. I'm envious of people. I'm not cultivating humility and self-forgetfulness. I'm dwelling on the things I don't have. And I don't think I'm alone. Think about your own life. Social media is just one example. So let's just imagine that you're in your social media, and you're scrolling through the posts of your friends. And if you're not really thinking about it, what kind of things do you see and how do you respond to them? You might be single and you see another friend is getting married. And I want to be married, but I'm single. You might be scrolling through and you see a picture of a person in a happy marriage and you're not. That marriage is falling apart. You might see a post, one more baby announcement, and we're going through infertility. There might be a, a, a post where it's like somebody else got the keys to their house and, and we still can't afford one and there's, we don't see it coming anytime soon. And we can go on and on and on. All the while, we're losing sight of Jesus. And it hit me as I was preparing for this message, like we desperately need a filter to help us keep our eyes on Jesus as we're constantly bombarded by posts, stories, advertisements, marketing. This is not limited to social media. This is television, radio, all over, it's everywhere. People, our relationships, our workplace. So what's my point? I think for this morning, I really do want to explore with you guys the reality that not having a gospel filter for your life can have a massive impact on you. Like we need a way, and by gospel filter, I mean like a way that we can think and engage with the world based on the gospel of Jesus, his love for us, his grace, his truth, his way. Here's the thing, though. It's true that having no gospel filter can really affect us, but it's also equally true that developing a gospel filter can deeply benefit us. So this morning, we're going to look at a text that will help us develop a gospel filter. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn over to Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. You guys with me? Okay. Is it a little warm in here? Okay. If anybody from our, one of our teams could take a look at the AC, that'd be awesome to get it going. Um, it may be overcast outside, but it doesn't feel that way in here. So Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Here's the context. Since we haven't been going through the, the letter to the Philippians regularly, Paul is writing to a church in Philippi that he planted. That's in modern-day Greece. And he just got done telling them a few verses before this, like, you are not to be anxious and not let your anxious thoughts fill your heart and your mind. 
So now he's going to kind of answer the question, what then should we fill our minds with? Verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So, that's a gospel filter for how to understand life. That's a way that we can receive life, receive what's happening in front of us, and process it. So how do we develop, develop this gospel filter in the midst of a broken world? So here are my points. If you're taking notes, if you're writing stuff down, I've got two points that will be up on the slide. Number one, listen to the echoes of the gospel in daily life. Number two, imitate those whose lives echo the gospel. So we're listening for gospel echoes in daily life, and we're imitating those whose lives echo the gospel, and we'll unpack that. So point number one, listen to the echoes of the gospel in daily life. And again, verse eight, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely, dwell on these things. I love this, this quote. One New Testament scholar I was reading said, the world, although fallen, it belongs to God. The world, although fallen, it belongs to God. So if there's anything in the world, anything, that echoes or mirrors God's goodness and grace, it has the potential to positively shape our hearts and our minds if we're intentional about how we receive them, if we have a filter. It's like Paul is saying, if anything, a book, a movie, uh, a show, a person points to some aspect of Jesus in any way, take note and apply it to your own life. So the Greek there that's kind of translated as dwell on these things, it goes way beyond just a simple like mental exercise. It's actually like meaningful reflection and drawing application to your own life. So we can learn from anything in the world that echoes the gospel. I have some examples. This week, um, I am a big baseball fan. I love the Angels, and you may have heard that one of their players died, uh, Tyler Skaggs. And the Angels players had this really emotional press conference where they together uh, kind of shared their grief with the world. They were, they were at times weeping, at times laughing, as they told stories about their friend, their fallen friend, Tyler Skaggs. And here's the thing. It reminded me of the gospel in so many ways. First, like the response from the angel players reminded me that we live in a world that mourns death, which shows us something of God's heart because Jesus mourned death too. He wept for Lazarus. The angel players reminded me that we were created for interdependent community, to laugh with others, to cry with others, to help one another, to encourage one another, and to be encouraged, to live with other people. And this shows us something of God's nature because God is a community. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. The way that the angels honored Tyler Skaggs reminded me that human life is precious because God made us in his image so that every single person has dignity, worth, and is worth honoring. The way people said things like, we've got an angel looking down on us. Even if I wouldn't use that kind of language, like theologically, it reminded me that humans, as humans, we have a trinity written on our hearts. And like, we know that death is not the end of the story. But for most people, that's as far as it goes. 
That's as far as it goes. And as I thought about these things, I reflected on them. It hit me that I have good news to share with the world. Jesus has guaranteed that death isn't the end of the story by dying for our sins and rising from the grave. He came to save sinners, to raise the dead. He came to restore and renew the whole creation. I actually have good news to share with the world. What, what those that aren't Christians or don't really understand the gospel story are kind of longing for, like we have it. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And so it got me thinking and pondering about like Tyler Skaggs' life and his death, his community. And it reminded me that I am a herald of good news and I have good news for the world. And I actually spent time praying that God would give me boldness and compassion to share the gospel whenever he gives me the opportunity to do it. I pray that he would continue to mature this community into a community that laughs together, that cries together, that loves one another, and has good news to share with the world. All of that came from just thinking about how the Angels players responded to to Tyler Skagg's death. And just drawing application to my life. So there's actually a reality that like, Mike Trout mourning for his friend taught me something about God's character. Okay, this event has echoes of Jesus all over it. We can find echoes of Jesus in his gospel anywhere. Let's take Parks and Rec, the TV show I really like. (laughs) This show follows the life of Leslie Nope, an ambitious, sometimes too ambitious, government employee who runs the parks for a small town called Pawnee. So during the show, if you ever watched it, she was on a quest to put a park in a vacant lot. Uh, during the sh- This is like kind of one of the big things that she's all about. And so at one point, she kind of has 90 days to put together a proposal for the lot, and she's up against a competing proposal by her like kind of arch-rival and nemesis, Councilman Jam, Jeremy Jam, who wants to put a fast food restaurant in. And so eventually, Leslie discovers that she's been jammed as the councilman went behind her back and basically started working on the restaurant before it was put to public vote like it was supposed to be. And so Leslie, who's overall like pretty honest and upright, she felt cheated, and so she took matters into her own hands and told a self-serving lie to derail the plans of her arch-rival and nemesis, the restaurant plans. And in that moment, that conviction of do whatever it takes to win, which was Jam's con- conviction, became hers. And so she sacrificed her integrity and people's trust to win. And so she realized almost immediately, like you could see, like she's laughing about it. And then she's like, oh no, what have I done? She realized like how wrong that was. And eventually she did the right thing and she told the truth. Even though it could have cost her, it could have cost her the park that she cared so much about. The people that she lied to actually didn't condemn her or embarrass her or shame her. But they showed her grace and didn't condemn her, forgave her, and renewed the relationship. The writers of this show gave us a great gift. These writers, and as far as I know, not followers of Jesus, but they gave us a great gift, showing us that relationships are built on trust and honesty. And then when we stray from those, we have to repent in order to restore the relationship, no matter what it might cost us. And the writer shows the grace of God who doesn't condemn us when we repent, but he forgives us and restores the relationship with us. As I thought about this episode, I started to think about times when I've lied in my life. And I started to think about the fact that if I ever do, when I do, I don't have to cover it up. Because I know that as I repent, God will forgive me and restore the relationship with me. I don't need to hide because God is gracious. I can repent to him and to people. I can be known by people. So we can actually learn a lot from Leslie Nope's repentance and failures in her life. We can find echoes of Jesus in his gospel anywhere if we have a filter and we know what we're looking for. One more example. 
Any Christopher Nolan Batman fans in the house? Okay, three of you. Let's mix four of us. So in my opinion, these Batman movies, they're not just entertainment. They're a rich exploration of life in a fallen world that cries out for justice against evildoers, but at the same time, desperately needs mercy as well. So if you've ever watched that kind of the third installment of Batman, uh, by the way, if you're new, we don't normally use all of these pop culture references. I'm literally just trying to show you, like, in a, in a given week, you can come across Jesus in so many different ways if you just know what you're looking for. So when the Dark Knight Rises, the city of God... I shouldn't say that. I do use a lot of pop culture references. I really like movies and shows. You're just going to get more of them today than normal. So Dark Knight Rises is the grand finale of this epic trilogy that Christopher Nolan put together. And basically the city of Gotham's day of reckoning has come. And there's a bomb that's basically programmed to destroy it. So despite Batman's best efforts, there's no way to defuse this bomb. Gotham's judgment was at hand. And she was going to pay for her sins. For her greed. For all the sins that Gotham's committed. With less than two minutes before the bomb went off, in the city, Batman hooked up the bomb to his batwing and flew the bomb right over Gotham and out to sea. By the way, this is a spoiler. The movie came out eight years ago. Sorry, not sorry. People looked up and saw their judgment being taken away. And then the timer goes down. Five, four, three, two, one. And then you just see the nuclear blast over the sea. And then you see all the people of Gotham clapping, cheering. They're saved. They're safe. Batman carried Gotham's sins and judgment away to restore peace and bring a new beginning to the people and the city that he loved. So you see like this mushroom cloud in the background and then you see people celebrating that they've been saved. It just reminded me of like how joyous I can be because I've been saved from a far greater destruction. The destruction of my sin and the judgment of God. Later you see people slow down and they started contemplating what Batman did for them. And then they start coming out of their homes where they had been in hiding and they kind of rise to new life. And this movie, it moved me deeply because I saw in it so many echoes of the gospel Like Batman is for the city of Gotham, Jesus is for us, our protector, our defender, the one who lays down his life for us. You guys seeing this? Is this making sense? Like the people of Gotham, I get far better than what I deserve, so I can shout, I can clap, I can praise, I can dance, because Jesus laid down his life for my benefit, laid down his life for me, just like Batman did. And I get to rise to new life because of what Jesus did for me. I get to live in light of what's been done for me. This from just thinking about Batman. And you can be shaped and molded by anything that's beautiful and true and anything that echoes the realities of Jesus in this world. We can find echoes of Jesus in his gospel anywhere. But this text, here's the thing. It tells us that we have a responsibility to actually develop a gospel filter that helps us to listen and learn from the echoes of Jesus in any given situation. So, where in your life can you hear echoes of Jesus and his gospel? As you think about your life, the shows you watch, the people that you interact with, your job, your coworkers, where are there echoes of Jesus and his gospel that you can actually learn from? Social media, on the news, on the radio. This text tells us, here's the good news, that we're not alone. We can learn from other people who have developed a gospel filter for their lives and are working this stuff out. So my second point is this. Imitate those whose lives 
whose lives echo the gospel. Imitate those whose lives echo the gospel. Verse 9 says this, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So I played baseball growing up, and I learned how to hit by watching other people, by imitating other people, by watching others hit. I learned like where to hold my hands, how to get down into a crouch, what to do when you strike out. I learned all that from watching other people. In the same way, like we learn to follow Jesus by listening to and watching other people whose lives echo this gospel story. People who've been thinking deeply on all the things that are beautiful and true and good in the world. Let me give you an example of this in my own life. So I learned what generosity like looks like by paying attention to people who are generous with others because of what Jesus has done for them. So seven years ago, uh, before I was even married to Heather, right before I think I got married, my car broke down and I was working in San Diego, driving up to La Jolla every day. So I really needed a car. And so Andy Rogers, who's the pastor of Restored Uptown, uh, found out, and he let me borrow his family car for a couple days. And he did not have another car. So for a few days, he walked. He got rides. He figured it out. Uh, He got uncomfortable so that I wouldn't miss work. And he showed me how to be generous with my stuff by doing that. Um, More recently, Jesus called, I think, Heather and me to come up here to help plant this church. And so in Uptown San Diego, we had one car for our family. You didn't necessarily need to. You can make do with one uh, because everything was so close. That obviously does not work here in Temecula. Uh, You can't get around with just one car if you have a family. And Heather and I, like, we'd been just kind of tight, one income, ministry income uh, for a few years, so we did not have money saved up to buy a car. But one afternoon, we didn't know how this was going to work out. One afternoon... Uh, Andy pulls up to my driveway with a Subaru and hands us the keys to the car. And that was actually a car that he had been given that he gave to us so we could come up here to plant this church. And this wasn't just for a few days. Like, he handed me his keys. He turned it over to me so Heather could have a car, so I could have a car, so we could get around up here. And he committed himself to walking, to taking lift, to riding scooters, to doing whatever he needed to do in Uptown so that we could be here to be gospel ministers in this valley. And here's the crazy part. The Subaru that Andy got was actually a gift from someone else. The Subaru was a gift from Royce, who's another one of the elders and pastors at, in Uptown. Royce gave, the, gave Andy the Subaru prior to Andy giving it to me. And it goes on. Andy and Royce modeled generosity to me. Royce was one of the very few people who had an extra room in Uptown that might sound crazy up here, like well, think a lot of people are going to have extra rooms. And uptown, hardly anyone had extra rooms. It's just not a thing. You just had the rooms that you needed, and sometimes you had less rooms than you actually needed. And so Royce was one of the very few people who had one extra room. And for years, Heather and I watched he and his wife Allison let people from our church stay in their extra room if they needed a place to stay. Royce is a pastor, busy. He runs a business. Allison is busy with two young kids and yet they let other people stay with them, even when it wasn't convenient. And so when we moved up here, we got an extra room, which is something that I could have never dreamed or imagined in San Diego. But we got one here. And then we heard that someone in our church needed a place to stay. And so we've already seen generosity with homes modeled very well. So we prayed and sensed God saying, imitate Royce and Allison. 
And that's what we're doing. We're giving away our extra room. And someone can live in it. So Royce and Allison modeled generosity as a response to God's grace. And now it's shaped and influenced my life. And I've learned that if the gospel is real, this is just another thing, another example that I've learned from observing other people. I've learned that if the gospel is real, then my sins are forgiven and my shame is actually covered. So I don't have to put on a show for anybody, even though I deep down I really do want to. Um, there's this gal, Nicole Pham, in Uptown who modeled this so well. She shared parts of her story, her brokenness, her sin, her failures, openly with our church. And these were things that ordinarily I would have thought, like, maybe you just tell a couple people. Um, instead, she shared it, and she gave us the gift of being able to go second and share our brokenness and failure. And it's totally okay because Jesus died for that sin and he set us free to a life of honest humility. We don't have to have it all together. Nicole modeled honesty and vulnerability so well and I learned from her. I learned to preach and minister. I'm still like fairly new to preaching, but I learned to preach and minister by observing and listening and learning from godly men and women who thought deeply about Jesus' grace and sought to practically live in light of it. So when Uptown uh, San Diego, the church that sent us up here, started to meet several years ago, prior to ever having like a public Sunday morning gathering like what we're at, like what we're doing right now, we had Sunday night meetings, and I kind of sensed that God was drawing me to pastoral ministry at that time, and so I planned to apply to a seminary. And Andy told me, Andy was the lead pastor there, he told me, you can do that if you want to, but he also let me know that someone could be trained to develop effectively in the local church without having to be essentially pulled out of their church family for a few years to learn Greek and Hebrew, good things, but it's also spiritually harmful for someone to be separated from the people that they're called to minister to and called to belong to. And so he never pressured me either way. He just let me know that our church could provide opportunities and experiences to learn and grow over time. And, he, and I could actually take seminary-style classes and courses if I wanted to to supplement what I was learning. And I got to do all that as it became clear that God's call was on my life. I decided to hold off on seminary, and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Instead, I learned and grew, I grew up within the, community called, within the community that God eventually called me to pastor. So to start with, I got little opportunities, like I got a chance to do the uptown equivalent of the kids' moment. Every, I got to do it uh, regularly, and over time, Andy, Brad, and Tom, who were the pastors there of uptown, they spent time coaching me. They spent time getting to know me. They spent time giving me more and more opportunities as they recognized that I was hungry to learn, to grow in the gospel, and to use whatever opportunities I got to serve other people. And so now, seven years later, because of the modeling, the imitation, the opportunities that I got, the conversations I had, the hours of observation that I got to have with these guys, the countless failures that I have experienced, still experience, will experience. Tons of learning and tons of imitation. And after that, all of that, here I am, like I've had a chance to serve not just that church plant, but this one as well. And over time, like I have just learned so much from watching and observing people whose lives echo the gospel. And I want their life, what I've learned from them, to, I want to like, totally imitate that. I want to give people opportunities and coaching and do all that as well that I receive because I benefited from it so much. And this, by the way, is how the gospel goes out. It's a movement. Disciples going out into the world. It's not, 
It can look like a big church, planting other churches, but a lot of times it's going to be small, organic movements where without a lot of fanfare or without a lot of attention, it's going to look like people having conversations, people modeling things for others, people learning through imitation, and then getting sent out. That's oftentimes what the gospel is going to, how it's going to go out. And I've learned from people outside of our local churches as well. Uh, I don't have time to get into it, but I've learned a ton from guys like Jeff Vanderstelt. I've learned from guys like Matt Chandler. There's different people outside of the restored family churches that I have learned from and I'm so grateful for and have shaped my life. I remember hearing one story from Jeff Vanderstelt about how he and his gospel community befriended a woman who was a hoarder and a recluse. Her name was Nikki, and she basically... Over the course of time, they like won her trust, and they started like fixing up her house. They started taking care of her car. They started taking care of her health, and like she became a Christian. She learned to, that Jesus is actually good, and it was through their like patient uh, encouragement and presence in her life, and they took care of her. And as I was learning about this, we had somebody in our gospel community who, came, who like fell on hard times and something went out in their house. And so our gospel community was like, we're going to buy that for you. We're going to get all the money that we need and we're going to take care of you. Because if we're a family, her need became our need and we took care of it together. And I've learned that from other people. I didn't come up with this on my own. I've learned it from other people. But it echoes the gospel of Jesus. So this is, I think, what we're being called to. I think we're being called to think deeply on the gospel and learn from other people whose lives echo the gospel. So I just want to ask a quick question. Think about your own life. Whose life and habits do you feel like you imitate? Who are the people who influence you on the daily? Who have influenced you? Would you say that their lives echo the gospel? How has that affected you? These are the kind of people that I think we want to imitate, people of grace and generosity and love and forgiveness, who speak the truth with gentleness and grace, who model and exhibit goodness, people who look like Jesus at the end of the day. And it says that the God of peace will be with you. And I've discovered in my own life, just learning from other people, thinking deeply on the things of the gospel, the God of peace has been with me. My life is by no means perfect, it's, there's, a, there's so much in my character that still needs to change and grow, but God has been with me. I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. The God of peace has been with me, and I wouldn't change a thing in that regard. So with that said, I think it's really important to talk about like, what actually keeps us from pursuing this kind of life. And I think one big thing that I was thinking about is that this kind of life requires paying attention. It really does. It requires contemplating the gospel and all, all its implications to our lives, for our lives. It requires observing. It, it requires imitating. It requires asking questions. It requires humility to say, I don't know. Teach me. Show me. It requires a desire to become more like Jesus. Is that your desire this morning? Do you want to become more like him? Do you want to look more and more like Jesus? If you do, there's a way forward, a way to think. I might, I don't know what I'm going to title this message. I might title it Christian Mindfulness. This is like this, this way of understanding life that's based on Jesus. 
So what keeps us from this sort of life? Distraction. Um, there's two major temptations that I think are really important to, to acknowledge off the bat. I've got a quote. If you guys can put up the first quote. I'm going to read it. It's a little bit long, but I think it's really important. It says this. It's important to, this is from a commentary about this passage. It's important to remember, this is the, the first temptation is to withdraw from our culture, to withdraw from situations and people. And so, so that the temptation to withdraw, this is what I was reading I thought was really helpful. It is important to remember that the world, although fallen, belongs to God. In the face of dramatic social changes that threaten the peaceful existence of Christians in our culture, Many evangelical American Christians in recent decades have adopted a pessimistic attitude toward the world around them, retreating into an anti-intellectual stance. Instead of viewing the natural world as God's creation as, and as an appropriate object of investigation, so instead of cultivating a curiosity about the world and about how it t- what it tells us about God, evangelical Christians have sometimes focused solely on the supernatural The result has been both a wistful yearning for the supposedly better days of a bygone era and an excited hope that the latest news from the Middle East will bring about Christ's second coming and end the world as we know it. That, of course, is not something that's ever talked about in this valley. That's a joke. We can laugh. It's okay. Yeah. Do you see the danger of withdrawing, of pulling back? In the midst of this world that's hostile to Christianity, we're tempted to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I remember as a new Christian, I started listening to pretty much only worship music. I started watching literally a channel called God TV. And I just kind of retreated from the culture because I didn't get today's teaching. I had no sense of how much I can learn from engaging my mind and my heart with what's happening around me while developing a gospel filter through which I can view the world properly. If I had, I think would I not only have matured faster as a disciple, but I think I would have been more effective in the world with my coworkers and friends who didn't know Jesus because I could speak their language and use references that they understood and met them where they were at, rather than retreating from the influence God had called me to have through some kind of misguided fear about the world or pessimism. So in this passage, and here's the next quote, i finish it. In this passage, Paul asserts the need for believers to cast their intellectual nets widely. Widely. Notice the word whatever is in there a lot. Whatever is good, whatever is beautiful, whatever is lovely. That's a wide net. Allow all that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, whatever, wherever it is found, to shape their thinking. He then urges them to practice what they have learned from him, on the Christian, of the Christian tradition. Christians today should not retreat from face-to-face encounters with the best unbelieving minds of this age, but should read them and hear them in the hope of learning truth, justice, and excellence from them, and thereby becoming more obedient disciples of Jesus. We can't simply just watch God TV and Fox News and call it a day. It's not cool. It's not going to help us really understand. The, it's, it's gonna, we're going to be in an echo chamber. We just hear what we want to hear all the time. And that is the spirit of our age, is it not? Echo chambers, just listening to what you want to hear. This is saying, whatever. Cast a wide net. 
mixing some CNN. Okay, withdrawing is a temptation. It's a real temptation. Here's the thing. If withdrawing is one temptation on one extreme, so is assimilating. So is assimilating. The Christian who assimilates with the surrounding culture begins to resemble and become it, and become like it. This Christian interacts with a culture without a mature gospel filter and is therefore uncritical of the things that are not beautiful, are not lovely, are actually lies. As an example, um, think about the Christian who staunchly defends the rights of the unborn because life is precious while secretly harboring an addiction to porn, which destroys lives. That's an area of compromise. But it's also an opportunity for someone to develop a mature gospel filter that will help them see like, oh, this is a lie, this is a deception, this is abuse, that's what porn is. I'm going to not dwell on these things. Does that make sense? Distraction, withdrawing, assimilating, all of these things keep us from developing a robust gospel filter from hearing and learning from the echoes of the gospel all around us, from imitating those whose lives echo the gospel. Is this clear? You guys pretty much get it? Yeah? Okay. Now, those are, seem like those are pretty daunting obstacles to overcome. Um, but I have good news for you. Jesus. He's our king who died for us to forgive us and cleanse us of our sin and foolishness. And he was raised so we can have new life today. He embodies the things that this text is talking about. Truth, beauty, honor, justice, and grace and mercy and all goodness. This is Jesus. For those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, here's God's promise to you. Philippians, no matter what's come to this point, if you have zero gospel filter in your life, here's what's true of you. Philippians 1.6, it says, I am sure of this, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And again, Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the key. It's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. If your faith is in Jesus, he will see you through to the end, no matter where you've been and where you've come from. So even if you fail as a disciple, you don't need to beat yourself up or give up. You can repent, you can confess your sins, and he will forgive you and renew you. You can get back on the saddle and go, and you can follow him wherever he wants to take you. So I think practically, I want to encourage you guys to be mindful, a Christian, developing a, a Christian mindfulness. Uh, this takes years, so I don't think this is going to happen overnight. We're all going to be working on it for the rest of our lives. It may look like you may need to start with just a book that helps you process and understand life from the perspective of the gospel. There's a great one called Gospel Fluency by this guy's name is Jeff Vanderstelt. If you want a book to start kind of thinking and chewing on these things, I don't know of a better book than that one. We have gospel communities where we can learn from one another, where we can observe each other's life, where we can share the good, bad, and the ugly aspects of life, and we can point one another back to Jesus we have people that we can learn from and follow. In this church, there's people who's, who are godly examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. None of us are perfect. All of us, Paul says, imitate me. But here's the thing that Paul says somewhere else. It's really important to remember. He says in, I think it's 1 Corinthians, he says, I worked harder than anybody else, yet it was not I, but the grace of God within me. 
He's not boasting as though like he's got it figured out or that he's in his own strength doing this, becoming this amazing man. It's the grace of God in his life. Do you want the grace of God in your life to transform and change you in this way? The truth is there's a lot of different ways that this message could take you this morning. You might need to like rethink a relationship in your life, a relationship in your life that doesn't reflect the beauty and the goodness or like ways, ways of relating with other people that don't reflect the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. You may need to rethink your social media usage, but I'm not anti-social media, just as a side note. Um, I think social media can be like an amazing platform to celebrate the good things that other people have and to share like good stuff that's happening. But if you have no filter and social media sends you down spirals of comparison, depression, like you, you might need to take a break or take a pause or rethink how you engage with what you're seeing. Is this making sense? You may need to start watching movies that are not G. I said this earlier, but you may need to watch something that's not Fox News. You may need to watch something that's not CNN. You may need to watch something that's not MSNBC. You may need to just take a break from the news for a while. (laughs) Probably a good idea. Because what comes through the news is just everything that's ugly and terrible about the world. It's kind of hard to obey this. For some of us, it means making a clean break with porn today. No more. It means, and I'm not naive as to say, that people won't fall and slip. I'm talking about like in a, at a heart level, at a mind level, repenting like porn is ugly. It is an abuse, an exploitation of people. That is not what Jesus is like. There's just a lot of ways that this could go. So I want to call the band up um, and kind of close us, close us up. In your own life, I want you to just take a minute and just think about your own life. Are you more prone to withdraw from the culture or assimilate? Have you compromised your testimony in the world by pulling back from it too hard or from becoming too much like it? Like, How do you sense God challenging you today? What do you think he wants you to do in your life in response to this message. I'm going to ask you guys to stand if you're able to. I'm just going to take a minute to pray and see if God stirs up anything. I just want you to be listening to him. Let's see what he does. I'm going to listen and pray and then we'll sing some songs. kind of sense like if I got a picture of like an old timey uh, computer uh, desktop I think they were called um, I'm just kidding desktop and there used to be this thing like a filter you would put over the desktop does anybody know what I'm talking about and I feel like God's saying to some of us like you need that over your screen time 
over the, the, the ways that you engage with Netflix. It's very hard to think deeply on the things of the gospel if we're just binge-watching stuff all the time. We're not really thinking about what we're doing. We're just consuming. And that's actually shaping us and our values in ways that we don't want as disciples. Let's see what else. Kids, picture of a phone. Like looking at your phone without thinking about what you're doing. Just scrolling, taking, consuming all the time. The phone isn't bad. I just want to be clear. I'm not saying like throw all your phones in the ocean. They're expensive. You don't want to do that. But again, today, this morning's been about like developing a gospel filter. It's about having a filter through which you see life. There's certain things that you just can't filter because they're by nature ugly. Porn, abuse, stuff like that. Those only tell us the opposite of what is beautiful and what is good. Those are things to not dwell on. But it's almost like I, I just want to pray that God would help us rethink our relationship with screens. I think this is a part of what at least today, I like how this applies. Father, I pray for... God, I, just, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even though, even if I'm not as clear as I as inarticulate as, um, as some people uh, need me to be, God, I thank you that you're powerful and you can apply this truth. And so I'm trusting you to apply what we talked about this morning, this need for a gospel filter, this invitation to really listen to and, and receive the echoes of the gospel from all around us and then imitate people whose lives echo the gospel the Father would you protect us from distraction the distraction of our screens and our phones would you protect us from the temptation to withdraw from the culture and just listen to the things that we want to listen to and just hear what we want to hear to, to retreat into like a Christian bubble protect us from that God and also protect us from unthinking consumption we assimilate, assimilate everything and we just become what the culture is. And so we lose our power and our witness. I pray that you would actually lead us down a new path, Father, a path that's thoughtful, that's mindful of the gospel in everyday life. God, would you make us a people that know and understand the gospel inside and out? Really, we're, just, we're always going to be learning how deep it goes. But would you help us have a robust understanding of what the good news of Jesus is all about his life, his death, his resurrection the new life he gives us so that we can hear those echoes everywhere and affirm them and celebrate them and learn from them Father, we love you and we thank you it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen